everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the equalizer podcast i am your host claire watkins joined this week by jason anderson of pro soccer wire how are you hanging in there jason uh hanging in there i think is is all all you can shoot for right now i mean that's like the text i've been sending to everybody is just like a hang in there text you know i think all you can do is take it one hour of one day at a time. Um, we're obviously referring to um, the Sally Yates report that did drop yesterday as people who listen to the show regularly probably already uh, inferred. We did take a day to kind of absorb that before recording. It did not make sense to, I think it was like an hour right after it dropped that we were scheduled to record yesterday. That just mm-hmm. did not make any sense to do. Um, but and, and I, this also probably doesn't shock people who listen to the show regularly. We're going to start with games. We're going to start with this weekend because it was a very important game weekend. These players came out and, and put together a really entertaining, thrilling, um, skilled level of soccer on the field. And I want to honor that by covering the games before we get into the Sally Yates discussion. So if you just would really rather hear um, us talk about the Yates report, if you're not in the mindset to hear about games, I totally understand that. Um, that'll be in part two. Uh, or if you would really rather just hear about games and maybe don't feel like you're in the place to absorb the Yates conversation, that will be coming in part two. You can just kind of leave us at the break. So We're going to start with this last weekend. We have a new shield winner. Uh, We have, we got our answers for fifth and sixth. We saw some standings change kind of drastically based on different results. It was a really interesting final weekend Um, to you, Jason. Did it feel like probably the most, like every single game had some sort of implication. The schedule just sort of worked out that way based on Mm -hmm. different matchups and uh, did it feel kind of special? Like we haven't necessarily seen a weekend like this before at the very end. We've seen seeding change, but maybe not as like right. drastic results. Yeah. And we, we've never gotten this thing where every game had some, I mean, I guess the game that had the least meaning was maybe dash spirit and mm-hmm. um, Louisville KC, but that ended up, those results ended up determining that, Home games. Uh, you know, yeah. Houston's getting not just their first playoff game, but a home playoff game. Right. Um, so even even those games that didn't have a lot to them ended up mattering quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, it's it was uh, it, it was something it's kind of it's kind of hard to after the Yates report dropped to like throw my mind back to a, the whopping what, like 72 hours ago. Yeah. Um, that I was at one of these games. But, yeah, it, it is. It was a fascinating thing to watch unfold. Um, the the fact that the league threw up so many kind of surprise results mm-hmm. um, in, in this because it the way it was set up, it did kind of look like okay, every game matters, but most of the games there's like you know Portland is playing Gotham, the Dash are playing the Spirit, Kansas City against Louisville. Those are three playoff teams playing, or I guess yeah, Houston had clinched uh, Friday night. Um, but yeah, three playoff teams against three non-playoff teams is like, well, maybe it's not going to be that interesting, but then it, it turned out to be pretty interesting. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk about maybe the holistic look of the weekend before getting into individual results. Um, Jeff Kasuf talked last week about the desire for more of a decision day, sort of a scheduling, um, mm-hmm. which would be, you know, all of these games being played at the same time. So rather than, you know, the San Diego, North Carolina result, meaning that Chicago knew for two days they had a chance or the Portland result going into that final Saturday game for the rain, the rain already knew when, and mm. you get the shield. Um, I kind of liked how it played out. I liked that we had these scenarios and like sort of on un- being unveiled, like uh, in a more spread out fashion. Uh, but I understand exactly kind of how thrilling it would be to, be watching these results in real time. What do you think, Jason, where do you sit on the line of would this have been a better decision day or did it work out? Okay. That there was just enough intrigue till the end. We definitely would be talking decision day, say if North Carolina and Houston had both won and that final game didn't matter, but because it did, it kind of worked out. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on the idea of doing a decision day. I I've covered it for uh, years now on the MLS side when I was covering DC soccer's teams locally. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I personally never enjoyed decision day at all because it meant that on one hand, I'm having to cover this one thing, but all the things affecting it, I don't, I can't do both. I can't watch both with any seriousness. Um, I don't have that ability to watch seven screens um, and, and take that information. It just becomes a wall of noise. So Mm -hmm. I personally do not like it, but I do understand for the league for MLS, it has been a boon decision Mm -hmm. day gets attention in a way that quite frankly, otherwise they would not get, they kind of have to manufacture some drama over who finishes seventh in the East um, because otherwise people probably wouldn't care very much. And it it works. Um, And for a league like NWSL, that's the kind of thing that you probably should be prioritizing to get people excited for what is otherwise some regular season games. Um, in, in a way that they don't get excited for the, the rest of the season. So I see the utility of it. Um, I personally also preferred the spread out nature of this. Um, mm-hmm. I like that it was a story that unfolded rather than just a two hour right. um, soccer bonanza. Uh, and then, you know, the build up to it is all build up and there's no, um, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. It's, it's like, instead of getting um a meal laid out with an appetizer and, and multiple courses is just someone comes to your table and drops off everything at once and is like, good luck. And there's, you know, plates falling over each other. And right. um, yeah, I, I do see why people like it though. I don't think people are wrong. I think it's, it's one of those things where I just accept that what the league needs is to not market to me specifically. Uh, <laughs> just like if you're building a soccer stadium, you probably don't want to build it for me because I would be like, no, no fancy amenities at all for anyone. No right. luxury boxes. And then guess what? My team would probably go out of business. So, right. um, well, you it know. seems also like something that prioritizes TV too. And so mm-hmm. there is potential, you know, with the Paramount plus deal, which has one more deal, um, one more year left the idea of perhaps, okay, so all of these are on one platform, please have them all on one platform. The rain game was on Twitch and that was not good. Um, right. And so then you're games. like, okay, two how can we, Twitch. right. How can we code some sort of like a, a, you know, a wraparound show or some sort of programming to have maybe even just like one singular desk show at halftime, right. To talk mm-hmm. about all the different things that are happening across the league. How can we turn this into a television event? Um, which is that same thing where it's like, yes, that's probably not uh, marketed towards the fan bases where those home games are being played, but they're, they're hopefully just there to cheer on their team, you know? And so right. they want to go have that experience as well. So I do think that there's television potential um, in something like a decision day. Um, and this actually, you bringing up the MLS uh playoff line is also it popped something into my head that I hadn't thought of before. And I'm interested in your perspective on it, which is last year, uh, six out of 10 teams made the playoffs. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was still some intrigue, um, especially with sort of Houston falling under the line on the last day, North Carolina getting above the line on the last day. It was still kind of exciting, but more than half of the teams in the league made the playoffs. Mm. Did you think that the race for sixth was a little bit more interesting because it is now back to 50% of the league, only half the league makes it in? Maybe a little. Um, I think it's, it's one of those things that becomes really relative um, depending on a given season's, you know, how, how densely packed the truly talented teams are. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a team, if you have a season where, six teams make the playoffs, but there are four teams that are clearly just way better than everyone else. Yeah. Then the bad, this is happening in MLS this season. Yeah. That the, was the, the WNBA this year too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately, I think we both, uh, feel that one, uh, in a pretty specific <laughs> way. Personal way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, you know, then the battle for six isn't so compelling. Cause you're like, well, I, I know this team is just, kind of it it kind of removes a reason for them to want to get better Mm -hmm. uh you know and every team does want to get better but having a having an like a clear like undeniable thing saying Mm -hmm. like you didn't make the playoffs it serves as motivation that you can't replicate right um and and yeah sometimes you get a team that just consistently comes in six then just barely gets in there and you're like well what's the kind of what's the point right of that team being in the playoffs this year um I think this year it's not not really a problem. 
Um, I think last year it wasn't really a problem. I think last year we had a situation where the, you know, the teams that didn't make the playoffs, I think, you know, tough luck for Houston, but I think that it really was the best six got in and we got a very good um, playoff situation where I, I think there, the gap between best and six was very small. Yeah. Um, this year with the way it worked out, um, no disrespect to Chicago, but I do think that there's like a one to five I is agree. very small. And then yeah. um, six is a good ways back though. You know, I feel like uh, a classic red stars thing to do would to then be to advance in the playoffs nonetheless. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's not that big of a problem. I do understand why people look at it and get, I mean, people in the MLS side of things have been losing their minds over the fact that more teams make the playoffs for the entire length of the league. They've been right. screaming about it forever. Um, I, I'm kind of, maybe I have like some remnant of athlete brain from when I was playing um, where it's just like, just tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll go do it. Right. Um, and if you take, make the top six and uh, four teams, only four teams miss out. Okay, fine. Um, so I'm kind of right, like just that. sort of like the rules are the rules. The way it works is the way it works. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's definitely right. better when the playoff, picture actually does separate the best group from the the less good group i feel like we're close to that for two years in a row even with expansion um so that's a positive i mean it shouldn't be that big of a problem in nwso because the the pool for talent could allow more teams to come in without right you know we're, we're not going to see a dilution of the quality of the league uh if if two more teams come in Well, I think maybe to your point as well, and this is obviously incredibly relevant this week is also, I think a lot of times when we see quote unquote, good teams versus bad teams in NWSL, it has as much to do, like you said, the player pool is so talented and so deep it's management, right? Mm -hmm. Usually when we see teams struggle or struggle for multiple years, it's a management issue and not a, a player issue. And so you're right that something like missing the playoffs maybe causes motion on the management side that you won't get. You're like, Oh, well, you know, our coach got us to six, then that's what we wanted, you know? And so you're just like, everything is fine and nothing needs to change. And so I think that, yes, I think that that is a good point too, which is that when you want, because that is the dream of the end of yourself, right? Which is that every team is actually trying to improve year after year Mm -hmm. um, is sometimes you do need those wake up calls. Like we saw that in Washington. I think Gotham is going through that right now. Right. Um, Orlando, I think is sticking with the vision sticking with a vision that they think will get them back into the playoffs. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's get into the games a little bit, starting with Friday. Cause like you said, it kind of unfolds. This is a good, it's a good story. This weekend is like a good story with a very clear narrative. So first game of the weekend, North Carolina goes into San Diego. San Diego's pretty hurt, right? No Alex Mm -hmm. Morgan, no Taylor Korniak, no Abby Dahlkemper. Uh, We think North Carolina winning in, they are going to do it. They can't. It's not, you know, they do not lose, but they do not score either, which is certainly not, excuse me, what we expected from this game. Uh, Naomi Gurma was incredibly good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and to be honest, I mean, I'm looking at, looking at the quick stats for this one, the box score, uh, North Carolina only had three shots on goal. Uh, San Diego only had two. It was just not a very high attacking rate of, of a game. So for you, Jason, for North Carolina, does this feel like they let themselves down or was this also just, you look at it and you say, well, this happened sometimes in their season and that's why they were in this position. Yeah. I, I skew towards the latter yeah. um, with um, I also, I have to say like, this is a real uh, tactical triumph for San Diego yes. um, for Casey Stoney, because how many games have the courage had this year where even when they lose, they managed to play the game on their terms and San Diego came into this game and said, we don't want a wild soccer game breaking out here whatsoever. Yep. Um, if nothing else happens in this game, we would like this game to pass by with uh, just a low number of events. Yep. Um, and they, they shut the game down. Uh, they did not give the courage, the game that the courage tend to make everyone play. And so that's, that's really difficult to do. Um, and so um, I, I also think they, they probably also got a like a learning experience out of it on, on as a bonus is that they sent out this five, three, two, they got to really look at, okay, if we need to shut a team down mm-hmm. for 45 minutes, um, here's how we're going to go about it. Um, now the other teams, the playoffs get to look at 
their plan and say, okay, this is probably what they're going to do. Right. Um, but you know, if I'm San Diego, I think maybe 45 minutes of, of real serious training as a test, um, it turned out pretty, pretty well. I think it's going to be useful for them. So I, I kind of land on this being more San Diego kind of showing their metal a little bit here. Um, and, and yeah, the, the courage left themselves with too much to do. Um, the early season, the struggles that they had, um, it turns out going to the challenge cup final, uh, might not have been great for anyone. Big curse. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they just had a little too much to do. I think if this were a 24 game season instead of 22, I think they mm-hmm. would have gotten the points they needed to get in anyway. Yeah. Um, but you have to, like I said earlier, like the, the rules are the rules you're stuck with them. Um, and they needed to find a way. And, and you know, they had a few moments where Dabinia went close, mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of like, can Dabinia save us on her own? Because right. we, which is kind of what happened it. last year too, that got mm-hmm. them over the line was Dabinia really just turned it on. Um, and, you know, great players make great plays. Uh, so I think, you know, again, going back to that like management idea, I thought it was interesting. I'm agreeing with you. I I think it was interesting that the wave did not have certain players and they played like it. You don't Mm -hmm. always see that in NWSL. Um, A lot of times you see managers make the decision of like, okay, I trust my bench. I trust my group. It's going to instill a lack of confidence in this group. If we change things just because some of our high performers are missing, um, how difficult is it to maintain that balance? Go out with a five back. We've seen five backs fail before and still have that level of buy-in from a group of being like, no, actually we're going to game this out. This is interesting. This is an interesting puzzle for us to execute mm-hmm. rather than be like, Oh no, we're playing scared. Right. Um, at, well, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to get because this is a, this isn't something you, you get out of your team over a couple of weeks. Right. You know, when the injuries come up, it, it can't start there. Um, this is, this is a result that Casey Stoney sets into motion on day one of preseason, mm-hmm. um, possibly even with some of these players, possibly before preseason, um, and getting them bought into the extent that they are ready and, um, can take in some cases the ego hit to, mm-hmm. uh, say like, yeah, when we're missing these players, yes, we're plugging you in, but we have to change. We right. cannot just you can't be, be Alex Morgan. Yeah. Right. Right. We're not going to go out there and just have you try and do an Alex Morgan impression because that's not you. Right. Um, and yeah, it's very difficult to keep a full group uh, on board for that. And San Diego is not a team where like North Carolina, for example, might be able to get away with maybe one player isn't as bought in because you have Dabinia or mm-hmm. Caroline, you have an individual that can, um, haul you over the line in a lot of these games. Um, San Diego, with the players that were missing, they didn't really have that. Um, the individual that that hauled them over the line in this game are, probably is Germa, mm-hmm. um, uh, who I also I love this back five setup where she was stepping into the midfield. I would love to see um, more of that where they maybe toggle between five and four, and the the toggle is our wingbacks are going to come back and she's going to step into the midfield. And all of a sudden we have a diamond um, to unbalance the other team. Um, that wasn't really the plan. It was more, she was just reading the game and, and taking a step up in moments. But um, as a future possibility for San Diego, I like it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a, it kind of underlines the managerial work Casey Stoney does that has not that much to do with tactics. It does a little, Um, But a lot of it just comes down to getting players to be fully bought in on what you want to do, even when they have to admit to themselves that it means, you know, okay, I, yeah, you're right. I'm not the golden boot national team starting striker. Um, I'm going to have to accept that and play a different way for us to succeed today. And, and then going out and not just telling yourself that, but actually believing it to an extent that it actually works. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Turning it's like turning everyone into like a a defensive midfield. It's like you, I know you're playing <laughs> you're playing forward, but your brain should be of, of the defensive midfield. Um and and they did a great job. And yeah, yeah. I, I think I I'll say I'm a little 
disappointed that we're not going to get to see more soccer out of North Carolina. I think that they obviously that surge that they had in the last month um, was really exciting to see. And you, you, there's a little bit of a, what could have been, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you said, those are the kinds of moments where it maybe helps a team refocus and regroup for next year. And hopefully they'll have some of these same pieces intact and, um, and be able to move forward. So I, I, I just want to give like a congratulations to North, like a thank you to North Carolina for what we've gotten to see from them over the last month. And I do think we're going to miss them in the playoffs. Um, so now moving on to another really important draw that I don't think anybody was fully in. Well, maybe they were anticipating it being a draw, perhaps because you never can predict these things. Three to three, though, I don't think anybody had written in. So Gotham. Uh, they break the losing streak. They get mm-hmm. it done. They come back from two goals down against the Portland Thorns. So this is another one. Portland wins and they have clinched the shield. They did not win. Um, this game was kind of a, it was kind of a soccer is a funny sport kind of a game. Like uh, Gotham had four shots on goal and three of them were goals. Uh mm-hmm. There was, you know, that the penalty at the end of the first half, you think to yourself, oh, no, you know, this is going to um, this is going to like really sink them. It ends up not being the case. Uh, so. I I don't know, Jason, what what's your take on this? Maybe it's that same question, which is we know that Gotham has quality. We have known that mm-hmm. it has seen like, you know, mismanagement. When I say that, it's more just like the way the team has been constructed felt like this trap that was not allowing them to those individual players to play at the best of their ability. So then it's that same issue of, okay, is this Gotham kind of finally putting it together? Is this Portland really letting the second half get away from them? What's your, what's your take on this? Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, I I think it's, there's definitely an, um, an aspect of Portland letting the game get away from them. Um, this is one that we've seen them all season. If, if you fall three to one behind against Portland, you, you, the game's over. You're, right. you're going to get They're going to manage you um, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get much going. And then the game kind of all of a sudden you're looking at if it's the 87th minute, you're still down by two. Right. Um, the, the Gotham side of it. I, I, I don't think that they've necessarily put it together. I don't think this is a replicable result with this group of players i think this was a pure we do not want to go into the offseason with one more loss yeah street if nothing else comes out of the season the streak has to end today yeah um so i really think it was a product of one team going up and being like okay you know we've come cross country so we can manage our legs a little the intensity isn't that important to us we're winning um and the other team having real stakes that the other team can't like Portland's never going to be able to grapple with the concept of breaking not, a 12 game losing. Yeah. Streak. Like yeah. They, there's just no match for that in the, in that moment, they were going to have to find a different way through the game and um, they should have been able to, mm-hmm. um, but uh, full credit to Gotham's players for finding at this stage of a season, it's very easy to be like, this thing is over. Um, let me get through this without getting hurt. Let me get to, my end of season meeting and get some treatment and, you know, recover from whatever knocks and and whatnot I've got. And let me get on vacation. Um, It's very easy to do that. And, you know, full credit to their players for not, not letting that mindset get into them because, you know, when Sophia Smith scored uh, on, you know, stoppage time uh, just before the half, um, you have every excuse to be like, okay, this thing's done. Right. Let's get out of here. We were winning. We, we, took the lead on Portland. No one expected us to do that. That's great. And then we've let it slip through our grasp in what was it? Two minutes, not even two minutes of real yeah. time. Um, yeah. That's, that's every reason for Gotham to have folded. And the fact that they didn't fold says, you know, that there's, there is more there than I think the team is better than uh, we've seen uh, the, the sum of the parts should be better than this. Um, but I do agree with you that the way that group is assembled doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for the various players to be the best they can be the way that they're put out. So I think, you know, for them, it's obviously a massive off season in terms of rebuilding a roster in 
figuring out like what is even the like cardinal direction that group is going in and then building from there rather than just saying we need a defender instead Mm -hmm. you have to really know like what kind of defender um do you need a you know a center back that can uh possess really well or do you need like an old school center back that wins headers and and you know is great inside the box emergency defending all that stuff you know for gotham it's a massive undertaking that they have to, I I think it's probably in more than one season. It's kind of reminds me of Orlando a little bit um, mm-hmm. where uh, they entered, you know, they entered an off season. And it was kind of clear that it wasn't just going to be this winter. We're going to fix our problems and then be a playoff team again. It's a multi-year process, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it still underlines the professionalism of the group in Gotham um, that they didn't just let this game you know, kind of roll past them and be like, okay, we, we just do this last thing and then we get to go home. Right. Uh, they didn't think like that. So um, d- kind of disappointing for Portland, yeah. um, but I also kind of understand how it happens. And I don't think we're going to see them carry that into the playoffs. It's going to be like oh, eh, almost like a warning shot for them. Like, Hey, you know, this is what happens if we drop our level a little bit um, just right. as a reminder, uh, didn't, didn't really cost them too much. No disrespect to the shield but it seems like people aren't super caught up by the shield still. It's, it's one of those weird. Well, if um, they were, I think we might've seen a different kind of Portland out there, right? Like that's sort of an indicative thing where it's like, obviously they want to win. I'm sure they want to win every single game. I'm sure they wanted to win the shield. Um, They didn't have Sam coffee, but they did rest her. Um, I do think that made an issue in the mid, a difference in the midfield, but Mm -hmm. um, well, and I think it's also indicative of this season, right? Which is, they were talking on the broadcast about just how dominant Portland has been. And I was like, I'm not sure that's exactly right. They've been dominant in games, but game after game, the whole point of this season is that no one has been right. Right. Um, And, and so yes, Portland has had a much stronger last month than they had mid season, but this result was very surprising, but also not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, And then maybe moving on, to the game that did win the shield. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also about sort of managing your season. And again, this is like huge kudos to the, to the rain who did win the shield this weekend uh, and to Laura Harvey and the way they sort of managed this week after week, because basically the rain due to the quality of their roster and the mm-hmm. quality of, of sort of the whole thing that they've built from day one have stuck around in this playoff picture all year. Right. And then they just decide to turn it on. They just flip a switch and they say, okay, shield time. And they win. I think they're on like a, they finished the season on a four game winning streak. I think they were on like a seven game unbeaten streak. Uh, They have only been leading the league for one weekend and it is the last one. And that is another very NWSL story. So Jason, um, maybe don't have to get into the game itself because that, that rain versus Orlando game is two programs in very different places right now. Mm. And it was a three nil win. Just never in doubt, never in doubt. Right. Yeah. But like, what is the story of this rain season of just sort of biding their time until they're like, actually, and they did, you know, you talk about, you get that little added, that little added boost. They really wanted to take that away from Portland too. Yes. And there's that element as well. So that was kind of fun to see. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's been very it's been very impressive to see um, the different ways that they've had to go about some of these games because they have had, you know, that win a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago um, in North Carolina mm-hmm. was really impressive. Um, but it was not like it's not like they went out there and just outplayed the courage in some end to end game. They really right. They had to kind of grind and hang on for spells. Um, well, that result against Gotham too was yeah. really tight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know they they won three games on the road in a week, um, which is a different. And, and yeah, they had to grind those games out. This one they did not. Um, they made sure it was not a contest uh, mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, but yeah, they've they've figured out some different ways to solve uh, the problem of the teams in front of them. Um, they've become less one note. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a criticism I had of them really through most of the summer was that they were so, it was so predictable that they were trying to cycle the ball over to Huerta in space to put a cross in. Um, this is why I, I don't necessarily, I, I know there's um, maybe grasping for stats that explain how well a player is playing. I don't think Huerta having 
the most crosses indicates her goodness or badness or anything. Right. Um, it just indicates that the rain give her the ball a lot. Right. Um, but now they've become a lot less predictable. And now it's, it's, they're still getting her those chances, but they're also getting, um, you know, better build up through the middle, better combination play. Um, the finishing is starting to fall, which was maybe a problem for a while there. I, I'm sure uh, our friends up in the Seattle region would love to talk about the finishing issues of the first half of the season. Sure. Um, but yeah, so some of it is, you know, yeah. If you start finishing, if you create a lot of chances and then you start finishing them, games get a lot easier um, mm-hmm. and they have made it easier on themselves. But um, I, I think there's a certain, there's a mentality thing there happening as well. Um, and it's not just Megan Rapino and just Fishlock. It's, it's everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, front to back that team, uh, I think to speak to another team that maybe bought in early, um, I think they maybe bought into an idea of, we don't have to be number one in June. Right. We don't have to win 22 games in a row. Right. Um, what we want to be is when this league gets into September, we want to be hitting our best and we want to be able to play six to seven games at our very best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will come home with a trophy, which with the roster they have, I think has always been arguably the case. Right. I think at the start of the season, I said that um, I felt that Washington had the best one to 15, but the rain had the best one to 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've always had that chance of, of, also having something in the tank that depth mm-hmm. means that some of these they didn't have to ask pino to play a million uh, minutes 90s. at the beginning of the season yeah, they, yeah. For, there was a stretch of time where they were like can you play 15 um and that was it so they've benefited quite a bit from just being able to um play the season as a season and not break it into very small chunks mm-hmm. and get overly focused on those small chunks they've always had the goal of like, we want to be at our best for these last few games and yeah. playoffs, you know, and actually an interesting thing that they said after the game, which I hadn't thought of, but I did actually, when I was, I was putting together, I was looking at their record over the last eight or nine games. And, and a really interesting little thing is right at the beginning of that unbeaten streak was mm. the women's cup. And they mm-hmm. went to the women's cup and they won that they got that trophy. And it just seems like for whatever reason, having a trophy winning opportunity in August really kind of switched something for them. And they kind of kept that momentum going throughout. And I'm not like crediting the women's cup for this, but I do think that there is an element of it was good for them to have something to play for. And mm-hmm. then they like, we're like, well, great. We're going to now have something to play for for the rest of the season Um, to keep it moving a little bit. uh, I do want to talk about maybe Houston and Kansas city. They did not play each other, but I want to talk about them maybe tied together in that they did have a standings flip this weekend. Um, Maybe start with Kansas city because there's some real intrigue there. Desiree Scott gets a red Mm -hmm. card in this game, which means that she will miss their first playoff game. Uh, They fall out of hosting, right? They're going to now travel to Houston we were all feeling really good about Kansas city. I still do, mm-hmm. but not the way they wanted to end the season. Right. When it kind of seemed like this game didn't have a lot in it, they end on a loss. They lose a player. They're now going on the road to the playoffs, kind of a weird ending for them. Right. Yeah. And it's also like the last four games for them. It's one win, one draw, two losses. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden the things that were really working when they were on this long roll, they, they lose the game to Chicago and at the time it was like, okay, big loss, but kind of a weird one. You know, you can kind of write it off. It feels like they haven't, maybe they said they would like to write it off, but they haven't really written it off the game against the spirit. I thought their, their win, they, I was like, okay, they're back. They, They figured it out. They've gotten themselves back on course. And then, you know, this, this game, uh, you know, it's, it's a road game, but uh, you know, at Louisville, um, it's not like Kansas City before the red card were completely dominating the game. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were having the better of it, but they weren't, you know, they weren't all over. It wasn't super convincing. Um, it wasn't that they were unlucky to to be at zero zero when they go down a, a player. Um, yeah, it, it is. It, it does make me wonder if maybe you know, the high pressing style of play, maybe there's just a tiny bit of fatigue creeping mm-hmm. in. They they have rotated some, but they haven't rotated um, a ton. Yeah. Um. So maybe there's a little element of that creeping in. Uh. Maybe they 
maybe they overlooked um, Louisville a little bit. Yeah. Um, it, it could be that they were like, well, we're better than this team. Right. Um, and I, I'm very interested to see how, well, I think we're going to see very quickly in the, the playoff game, how they react to um, what happened here. I, I don't think um, this isn't a knock on Scott, but I, I think Kansas city is well set up to replace her. Um, system wise. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, They're they're not going to have to like plug an inexperienced player into that role. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I assume it'll be Loera playing there and they'll bring another center back in and all their center backs have 20 plus NWSL games. There's no one that's coming in. That's going to be overawed by the occasion. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is kind of, it's a little bit of a, it's a result that it, it it's one of those things where if, if I were a Kansas city fan, I would be trying to convince myself that we don't have to worry about that one. That one's the outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like maybe there's, there's something, something is a little off yeah. um, that this result happens with the stakes that were at, at play here. Yeah. Um, which, you know, Kansas or with Houston, for example, if they had had a game like this in Washington, I would feel kind of the same way. They did not have. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk Houston. So they get the win in Washington. It's a our our friend Theo. He's so good. He has all of the little historical facts. I think it's their first one in Washington in quite some time, maybe like five years. Um, Obviously, Washington, again, is on a little bit of a different path right now. They are definitely in full player evaluation mode. They were pretty open about that interim coach who I don't think has any interest in in staying. Correct. Very different situation for for Washington right now. but Houston gets the job done and Houston is another one where you look at their last five games and there's some good performances and some less good ones. And mm. had some, you know, not having Ebony salmon last week, I think also hurt them. And, but I feel pretty good about Houston though. Definitely a top yeah. four team. I, I think obviously their home record is kind of a funny one going into this one. They've been better on the road mm-hmm. than they have at home. But when we talked about this the last time you were on the show, it seems like they, for maybe the first time in a while, have multiple ways they can play a game. And yes. so you look at a team like Kansas City kind of projecting that matchup. They have a couple different ways they can play this. They can sit back, let Kansas City you know, press, and then try to hit on the counter. They can force that high line to try to just keep the ball away from Kansas City. Um, so feelings on Houston, obviously, maybe this is like the way that I feel about it, which is that they obviously made club history in clinching a playoff spot. Mm -hmm. And that was actually done with the San Diego, North Carolina result. They didn't have to play for that. But for me, I'm like, well, yeah, duh. They're (laughs) one of the best six teams in the league this year. You know what I mean? It's, it's not quite the, it is a hurrah, but it's also not because I think their expectations are now higher than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like a dramatic thing that they got in. Right. Um, because you you see them play and you're like, yeah, this team should be a playoff team. Right. Um, and, you know, to to having been at this game, I thought the spirit played really well for about 10, 15 minutes. And then Houston stood up to it. They got through it um, without giving without really giving away much either. They gave away danger, but not genuine chances. And then the first time the spirit made a mistake going the other way, that's Marissa Vigiano capitalizing on that. Yeah. Um, you know, the spirit make a spatial mistake. They leave her with tons of room on the side and she does the rest, um, which is a very impressive thing about Houston is that they can withstand some tough times in a game mm-hmm. without letting it kind of, it, it doesn't take them long to bounce back. Um, you can have them under control for a while. And then if you let down once, this is a team that is like, great, this is what we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um and from that point, they didn't just say like, okay, great. We got our goal and that's it. They, they kept at it. Um, they yep. were the better team from that point. Um, so yeah, I think this is a, this is a dash team that have, they have a lot of um, versatility within the group. Uh, a lot of, of, a lot of ways they can deal with um, really any kind of style that they, they have a, a way to deal with it. That isn't too much of a stretch for them. Yeah. Um, I will say if I had to highlight an issue um, for the dash, it's that th- I think they're probably going to have to lean pretty hard on their starters. Mm. Um, I think in a playoff game, maybe not that first round, but semifinal and final, if they're going to win those games, um, we might not be seeing many subs. Yeah. Um, I think the level, the level doesn't drop off a lot, but it drops off just enough where I would be. A some other, so just some other teams are deeper. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but I, I do think they're, they're, they should be a major problem, especially now that they've evolved late in the season um, where their style of play maybe is a little, a little better at home than it was early mm-hmm. in the early going, they played home games like a road team. Right. Um, and that's why their road record looks like it does. And their home record looks like it does, but they've started to, as the season wore on, wore on I think um, we talked about this last time that they had added some elements that weren't there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows them to not be so transition oriented. They don't have to do that mm-hmm. if it's not on, or if the other team would be more uncomfortable. Um, I think right. Kansas city, Houston probably is going to be a transition fest though. So it should be a Hopefully very fun. fun. Game. Yeah. Um, but I also, if there's a team that's going to be invested in that game and not letting that happen, it's probably going to be the dash. Yeah. And it will be a real test for them to try and, you know, be if they want to make it a little possible. more measured. Yeah. Um, now, maybe they look at Kansas City and say, like, no, let's have this transition game. And we get um, right. you know, Albertine Montoya said building up to this that he was fine with this game being a 6-5 win. He wanted to put on a show. And the dash hit the woodwork four times. Yeah. Um, so the dash, I think, are pretty comfortable if you want to come out and just go end to end with them. Yeah. Well, it's also funny too, and especially, I mean, you never know in playoffs, playoffs are a little bit of a different monster. Sometimes they do get real buttoned down and we're Mm -hmm. just like, well, this is certainly a soccer game. Um, But NWSL, one of the things I love about NWSL is frequently once you get to the second half, maybe you hit the 60 minute mark. Mm-hmm. An NWSL game breaks out, no matter yes. what your best plans are. People get impatient. They, <laughs> they just, do. Like, I can't wait for this. Come yeah. on. And, <laughs> we got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's high potential for that with this matchup. So to wrap this part up, let's start with the team. Let's, you know, we're going to finish with the team that got six. Um, congratulations to that Chicago Red Stars squad. I think what they have pulled off this season as a group um, has been very impressive in the face of a lot of things. Um yeah including absences and injuries on the field. Right. And obviously we'll get to this in the second half. I think that that team has probably had to deal with a lot um, behind the scenes as well. Uh, Well, obviously they've had to deal with stuff behind the scenes. And Mm. so I do think that getting sixth for them is we were talking about this at the top of the show, right. Of like, what is the goal of getting sixth for the red stars? I do think that is your job. Well done moment. Probably. Um, and I think it's also, you know, it makes sense that that game over Angel City, which in, before North Carolina kind of put on the Jets, people thought it was going to be between Chicago and Angel City mm-hmm. for that last spot. Angel City had already pretty much been eliminated by the time that game happened. So that does change the mental aspect of the game for Los Angeles. But Chicago won that game two to nothing. You know, they pulled up together enough magic to get that final playoff spot. Um, they now travel to San Diego, which they've only, they did lose to San Diego twice, but both were one nil losses. Like I do think there is perhaps a better game there than Mm -hmm. some people might necessarily think. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to just give background on this because like I was there, right. Which is, I think my main issue with Chicago is we've talked about their injuries and we talked about their absences, but their injuries go much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Um, both of the wingbacks that they started in this game were hurt, not 100%. Um, Aaron Wright, who played the whole game and at center back is not 100%. She had issues right at the very end of the game, which seemed to me like an element of just like deep fatigue on a player that's been dealing with lingering injuries all year. Mm. Um, and that's due to the roster construction and due to the, the way the team has had to play this year. And so for me, this is the, like you were saying, you know, it would be the most red stars thing in the world to make this deep run. But it's also, again, the shades of last year where they did make this deep run, but every single game they lost somebody else. They just kept getting more and more hurt Mm -hmm. until I remember the championship game, right? Mal Pugh gets knocked out at halftime. Uh, Tatum Malazzo can't go in overtime just because her legs won't work anymore. Um, Vanessa DiBernardo sits down with a hamstring injury in the first five minutes of that game. People forget about that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for me, I'm like, I do think this is an incredible accomplishment. You made that point about management and support, sometimes getting a wake up call by missing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So for you, Jason, are, how do you balance that looking at the red stars of this, this veteran group, this group of players pulled off something pretty cool. 
But if this was the year where the Red Stars maybe needed to miss the playoffs, mm. that also might have not been bad for them in the long term. What do you think on that that level? Uh, I mean, I think if you're Chicago, and we're, I'm sure we're going to touch on this in the next segment, but right. if you're Chicago and you think that making the playoffs this year means that things are more or less okay, then that's pretty much as wrong as you could be. Right. Um, and and it, it kind of means that um, it kind of strips some meaning away from being a playoff team or not. It kind of doesn't matter where they were in the standings um, in terms of being a more functional organization right? Um, and setting themselves up so that it doesn't have to be like you're saying, you know, this team has overcome a ton yeah. to get to sixth place. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. You right. don't have to set yourself up where it's the entire year, um, you know, asking Aaron Wright, can you play center back while, you know, probably also carrying uh, a knock um, in a game we have to win. Um, It doesn't have to be like this. uh, And they are an organization that needs to uh, set themselves up so that this isn't always the story because it does feel like it's always the story to some degree Um, where uh, any, you know, it's, it's an incredibly resourceful group um of, of players that have found a way through these things um but you'd like to see what they could do if they could just be themselves and not right. have to be constantly um doing the extra stuff or um having to play most of the season out of position or whatever it is for any individual you could i'm sure every every player on that team has a story yes um and yeah the, the i kind of i kind of have a hard time reconciling uh Chicago's place in the standings with just Chicago's place in the world uh, mm-hmm. of NWSL. Yeah. Um, they kind of, if they had won the league, it, it kind of wouldn't have mattered. They would have needed to make some major changes anyway, in that organization. Right. So um, it, it, it is impressive um, for that group to have come through everything and still um, find a way to make the playoffs because they, I said earlier that I don't think they're one of the top six teams, but that means that they have done something pretty impressive in getting into the playoffs without being one of the top six teams. Um, But at the same time, and I'm sure, you know, I don't want to put words in the players' mouths, but I'm sure that a lot of them are thinking this too. Like, yeah, you know, we made the playoffs. um, So from that angle, good job, but on pretty much every other level, not great. Yeah. I mean, I think, and again, this is from someone who, is, is at these games and then speaks to these players probably the most is just, I, I wish that I wish that the team around them had the same expectations that the players have for themselves mm-hmm. because the expectations, the standard that the players hold themselves to is so high. And that is probably the story of the season is you have this group of veteran players that hold themselves to a very high standard. They implemented that to the younger players and they brought younger players in that were very eager to learn and grow and and compete as well as they possibly could mm-hmm. and the fact that all of that was only good enough for maybe making sixth is yes. the constant frustration right yeah. they yeah. shouldn't ha- they shouldn't have to just get blood from a stone every year right um and it's not the player's fault that that is how it always is right agreed this is actually probably good for the sake of time we're just going to keep rolling um this is going to be the break switch uh, and so we're going to start talking about the Sally Yates report. I think this is a good segue. Um, and, and yeah, we're just not going to take a break. Uh, we're going to keep just this rolling because that's, this is a natural way to do that. Um, I'm sure everybody knows, uh, hard to avoid, uh, the Sally Yates report dropped yesterday, as we said at the top of the show. Um, it has some really, I mean, I, I, Jason has not gotten all all the way through it. I have not gotten all the way through it, not only because of its length, but also just the seriousness. It's difficult. It's difficult to sit through. Um, I want to start by just saying thank you, um, to the players who came forward, uh, the ones who put their name on the report, even the ones that didn't front office staff, um, anyone who made themselves open to this investigation in the hope of some sort of accountability and justice, uh, we owe those players and those people so much. Um, so we, we, I, I don't want to just allude to things, right. We were talking about Chicago um, details about Rory James's tenure and uh, the culture of this was repeated over and over culture of abuse, culture mm-hmm. of workplace toxicity um, at the Chicago red stars, which includes very much uh, their principal owner, Arnim Whistler. 
um, and his culpability with allowing Dames to stay at the club for as long as he did mm-hmm. and giving him the power that he had and, um, you know, not taking player or front office concerns seriously. Uh, there is also more about Portland, um, specifically, uh, the, obviously the Paul Riley story and also the management of Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub and the ownership stewardship of Merritt Paulson. Um, there's more in detail about the recommendations that Riley got to go to the Western New York flash by the thorns, um, which I think we knew in short, but we got uh, some pretty stark evidence of that. Um, we also got uh, an extensive uh, backstory on what happened in Louisville with Christy Holly. Um, and, and again, you know, Aaron Simon came forward with her story and um, you know, that had to be so, so hard um, in some ways that Louisville story, which I was not prepared for in any way um, mm. was the hardest to read out of all of it and how Louisville um the mismanagement in Holly even being rehired back into the league. Mm -hmm. He had a job with us soccer prior to that. Um, There's more there's, I mean, I can't even get through all of it, right? There's, there's us soccer's culpability in this. There's team management culpability in this. There are, there were mentions of Washington mentions of Elise LeHue at Gotham there. Mm. um, There's so much. And so I think, just for today, because it's still new and we're still processing it. And there's going to be written work about it that gets into all of these things for you, Jason, maybe just the big question is the players association has been very clear. Mm -hmm. The NWSL can't go anywhere. That is not an option for them. What what do we do next? How do we, how does I mean, I think I feel pretty strongly that at this point, there are certain people still in the league that can no longer have the right. power that they have. Um, but we also know with the litigious nature of mm-hmm. this country, how difficult it is to remove people who do not want to be removed. So for you, Jason, what would you like to see happen next? And what do you think in your experience is most likely to occur? Um, yeah, what I would like to see, um, you know, the leadership in Portland, uh, with, with Paulson, with Galoob, with Wilkinson, I don't think that's, that's not tenable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, you know, emotions removed. It's just not possible for that organization to carry on, um, at a, you know, at a standard that the league requires, but that's what I keep coming back to when I think of all of this is, um, on so many levels, the teams aren't or especially the teams at Portland aside, um, the the teams that we're talking about here have been the smaller teams where Mm -hmm. the trappings of big time professional sports are not there or have, or maybe are just now getting in. Mm -hmm. Um, I I posted a a quote from Andy Sullivan about how she, Aubrey Kingsbury and Tori Huster had kind of had to be, you know, ad hoc technical directors for the spirit for a while. Yeah. And they're looking forward to not having to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not how sports work um, right. in bigger sports teams. It's not how any, any of this is supposed to work. And it, it's what allows the much worse stuff than just inconvenienced players with right. too much on their plate. All that stuff happens because the structures are just too weak and too easily worked around by predators. Right. Um, so, you know, yes, the, you know, the leadership at Portland and Chicago, there's, I, I don't think there's a way to move forward with them still in place. Right. Um, Louisville, it's, you know, at the very least, uh, it, it seems that James O'Connor uh, has to carry quite a bit of the responsibility with uh, Christy Holly. Yeah. I mean, some uh, of those details in his hiring, he didn't have the requisite head coaching licenses when yes. he was at Sky Blue. He Louisville was warned about his misconduct at Sky Blue before hiring him. Um, and what we saw in that report, which again, you talk about the infrastructure, was them being like, Well, we can't get anybody else, right? Which is, you know, frankly, that's just such small time, right? Uh, it's it's nonsense that if you if you would like to be a 
a, a team in the what's supposed to be the best women's soccer league in the world. If you would like to be a team, there are things you have to be able to do, or you right. cannot, you cannot be a part of this. Right. Um, I, you know, I was saying earlier, I made a joke about how, if you built a stadium for me, you wouldn't make a lot of money. Um, flipping that around. If I wanted to own an NWSL team, I can't pay even one coach, much right. less an entire squad of players and staff and everything. So I don't get to own one. Um, I, you know, the, the, the people that want in the league, um, Arnhem being a, a maybe the perfect example. Yeah. Um, they are not equipped to run the teams in a way that is safe. And therefore they cannot, you, you can't run a team at that point. Yes. Um, and, you know, your options become, do I bring in additional investors? Some teams have done that. Some teams kind of hit their wall um, going back to, you know, Bill Lynch hit, hit his wall. He did not hire the right people. He did not, he did not reach out to the right people to bolster his, uh, ownership group. Um, but he did hit a wall and say like, I can't take this thing any further. Um, and that doesn't just mean making more money. It also means like, realistically, I'm running a sports team with like five people. I can't, right. it's not viable. It's not good for anyone. Um, you know, the rain obviously went out and contacted Olympic Leone because mm-hmm. again, they hit, there's a ceiling as far, that they could not go any further right um a team like chicago has many on paper owners but are they actually controlling owners it does not appear to be the case at all yeah and an Um, unwillingness even to speak about it publicly very much i think is also an indicator that there is a very stark power dynamic there that is not in favor of those owners yeah yeah um you know in some ways the difference between steve baldwin and arnhem uh, is basically that uh, Arnhem appears to have written more uh, more secure um, contracts of ownership for right. these other people to come in than Baldwin did. Right. Um, because, you know, I I would suspect that a lot of the people that bought in are like, I don't want to be a party to this. Like, right. this has to be changed and maybe they can't do it. Um, whereas in, in Washington, we know people were able to figure out a way to make that change happen. Um, but it does kind of Washington's kind of instructive in a way because it reminds us of how difficult it will be to change these situations. Um, if Merritt Paulson uh, wanted to leave, uh, people have been yelling at him for years to leave. Right. Um, if he wanted to leave, he would have already. Um, he very much never wants to leave. Yes. Uh, if Arnim wanted to leave, I frankly, from where the amount of money he seems to have, it seems like it would be a good idea for him to leave and just find other things to do that are not financially difficult to accomplish. Right. He wants to be there, right. um, which is pretty bad news yeah. uh, for Chicago. Uh, it's pretty bad news for Portland. Um, and going back to Louisville, um, if they couldn't find a better coaching candidate than Christy Holly to come to an NWSL expansion team, when you see what San Diego has been able to do, hiring Casey Stoney away from Manchester United. Yep. Um, and you see Angel City was able to hire Freya Coombe away from, from Gotham. They were going to try and hire Sean Nahas away yeah. from North Carolina. And you don't, um, and you also do not get to argue small market. Like you don't get to argue small market. Look at Kansas city. Like yeah. you don't, that's you now. It is just you, your management yeah. of the team. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not a market problem. It's a, yeah. um, do I want to run a proper functioning organization? Right. Um, do I want to run a business that people can be at and be able to get through their workday without some sort of nightmare happening. Right. Um, these are not high bars to clear. Um, and there are some people who I think believe that they can clear the bar, but they clearly cannot. Right. Um, well, right. If I, this is the other element too, and I don't want to play armchair psychologist cause it's not worth it and way outside my purview, but I also don't think these owners would still be here if they did not think they could fix it. Right. And I think they need to be told that they can't. Yes. So someone needs to be in a position to say like, this is beyond you. Yeah. Um, because it's clear that the, the argumentative approach is not getting through. Right. Um, these are owners that have been yelled at for years, whether, you know, in Chicago, in Portland, it's been local. Um, yeah. it's, it's the fans have been critical of ownership and telling them we would like you to go. Um, in Louisville, that 
appears to be just starting now. They're newer. And that's also, I want to be very careful not to blame the fans. Of course, not. you know, they did not know about this. They, I think Louisville is one where the team is very new. And I think yes. that, you know, I want to, I, yeah, I always want to be very careful that just like, gosh, this is not on the fans at all. No. Yeah. No, but, but there has been, but, but outside criticism. Exactly. Of that organization. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, there yeah. have been people pointing out the problems in, and, and some of it is, is not nearly not even in the, the ballpark of the specifics of Christy Holly. There are problems like Louisville doesn't do uh, there's no way to, they're the one team where when they're at home, you can't go into a zoom and get on a press conference and, and ask questions. Right. Um, and let sure physically there. Um, these are the things that every other team in the league is able to do, um, Mm -hmm. and they cannot do it. Um, and it's not, it's not because they're like aggressively disinterested. It's because they seem unable to do it, which is you're not meeting a a minimum standard, um, that this league has struggled with since day one has been the minimum standard is not good enough. Um, and the argument that it needed to be that the standard had to be lowered so that the league could exist. It it didn't really hold water then. It wasn't fair at the time. It wasn't yeah. a good idea at the time. Um, they should have required higher bars of entry. Um, and this is the outcome. When, when the standard was that low for that long, this rot gets in, in various ways in various channels. And you end up, you know, this many years later um, with, right. You know, we're, it's not like this is the first, you know, earth shattering report to come out of the league. Right. Um, unfortunately, we have way too many of these. We've, right. we've had this discussion too many times. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the standards of ownership financially, you know, responsibility wise, because, you know, Merritt Paulson has more money than than almost anyone. Right. That's not a financial problem. That is a picking bad people and staying loyal to them for yep. entirely bizarre reasons for entirely too long. Yep. Um, but in, in all these cases, it's a standard that's not being met and it's not, these aren't even that difficult of a standard to meet. to right. meet. Like if, if someone comes to you and is like, there's abuse happening in my organization, it shouldn't be like, let me make sure I tamp down any criticism and keep these people or, or like someone saying there's this. a there's abuse in my organization and uh, an owner or manager going like well if you keep saying that they're gonna leave <laughs> yeah yeah um you know the 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 mentality i think is also part of it is um because some of some of these owners have had the resources um and the mentality is different um you know to come back to being being in dc i come back to what i know and um the difference in mentality between the Kang ownership and the Baldwin ownership. Yeah. Um, it's, I believe, I don't know. I don't know how much money each of them is worth. I believe Kang is worth more on mm-hmm. paper, but it's not about that. It's about right. the mentality is different. The, yeah. the aspirations are different. The requirements of people around you are different. And the result is a healthier organization. Yeah. Um, and that is, healthier organizations is what the league needs. Um, And the way to get there is going to involve getting rid of some people um, having the, you know, they're going to have to, the league is probably going to have to find a way to afford to get rid of some of these people because you're going to have to get lawyers involved um, in, in multiple places, but um, they're going to have to actually do that. The option, it's not an option. It's not a thing like, well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we do that. It's going to have to happen. Um, Because these these are the three teams that got the most focus in this are all in a position where um, if the people in power stay in place, then nothing will have changed. Yeah. Well, you know, we could talk about this for a while, and I, I think probably better better to just leave it on that first impressions, because like I said, this is it's been about 24 hours since this dropped. Um, yeah, there's a lot to get through. The NWSL has their own investigation. Uh, coming out, I think right at the at, right after the season ends, I believe is is kind of the timeline for that. Mm-hmm. Um, which they're in a delicate position because, well, everyone is right because these players have games to play still, mm-hmm. and I think that this is has to be incredibly stressful for them. And not everyone's interests are going to be exactly the same. 
player, former players and current players might have different opinions about what needs to happen. Uh, people outside of ownership and ownership are going to have different ideas about what needs to happen. Um, but what we do know is that something needs to change more needs to change. Um, and I think we knew that a year ago. And I think that yeah. this is just further confirmation of that. So this has been an episode of the equalizer podcast. Um, a lot to talk about, like I said, always want to honor the performances of the players on the field and then also talk about the other serious issues. Uh, thank you, Jason, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy and our distributor blue wire podcast. We'll be back with you next week with more. 